So I'll start with Exodus. We're in part six of Exodus, which is going to be chapter seven through 11, which is encountering Moses and Pharaoh encountering each other with the plagues of Egypt. And just a little catch up, if you don't know the whole thing, Israelites are being oppressed under Egyptian rule. God says to Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver these people. Moses is like, yeah, maybe. But then he finally says, okay. And then he, God says, it's going to be rough, though. He's not, the, the Pharaoh's not just going to accept it. And he's like, well, let's give it a shot. And so they give it a shot. And the first step we talked about last week is Pharaoh says no, and he makes the Israelites' lives worse. He, so the first step of following God was things got worse, <laughs> which we can, some of us can relate to that. Um, but God never changes. He's like, I, you know, um, God promises to deliver. He's like, I know it got worse. He's like, I told you this. You know, he's like, in God, if we remember, he identifying, this whole time he's identifying himself. And when he gives him his name, he tells Moses his name, he says, I am. And in that statement, he's saying, I am who I am. Like, I don't need your permission. You know, and, and, I, and you can also hear in that, he's like, that when God's re responding back to Moses, because he's like, God, why did you make things worse? And he's, or why did this things get worse when we did what you said? He's like, I'm going to deliver you. And he's kind of saying, I, I am, remember? I do what I say I'm going to do. I'm not like what you're used to. I do what I say I'm going to do. It doesn't always look the way you think, though. So what we're going to look at today, Exodus 7, 8 through 24. Um, but really, what these are chapters, Exodus 7 through 11. So if you want to go back on your own time, because there's a long chronicling of all of the different plagues in more detail. We're going to highlight this, but I think the beginning chunk of Exodus 7, 8 through 24 um, really explains what we need to see today. Um, I need a reader to come up. Can someone come read for me this chunk? You can do it. Yeah, come on. It'll be up on the screen. Take 
your hand with the staff. I came to the snake. Then he they say to him, the prophet mean the Isaiah? The Lord the God to his own. The staff of Jesus is the snake. Now Jesus go to me. I tell you that what the Lord said, and then the Lord, So what we have here, thank you for reading for your Dan. <laughs> we have a setting up of a chain of events that have between Moses acting on behalf of God and Pharaoh. And this interaction starts that we call the plagues. And there's 10 plagues in all, which is like a complete number in the Bible that there's 10 of them. But we're going to talk about nine of them today. And the first thing that we see encountering, which we just read, is God says to Moses, like he had taught him before, go before him. And when he says, okay, fine, show me something about your God, he's like, throw your staff down, I'll turn to a snake. And then the weird thing is, Pharaoh's like, we can do that. And he has his guys do that. And then there's like this weird detail where, yeah, but God's snake eats all of theirs. And he's like, I don't care, we can still do it. And then it moves into this list of further plagues where there's some interaction like that, that God said, like, hey, let the people go. And Pharaoh says some version of, yeah, I don't think so. And then a plague happens. And then Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let him go if you stop the plague. And then God stops the plague. And then Pharaoh says, never mind. And it happens over and over and over again. And what, ends up, what we need to see from that is go to the slide of the plagues. Like I said, there's nine of them. And you can read in the detail if you go back as a family or as yourself and just read through each one of these. The first plague um, is turning the water, like she was just reading, turning the water of the Nile River into blood, which the guys are kind of able to imitate that one too. And what God is doing, because we don't pick up on this, we're like, okay, like, because you, you read this list, water to blood, frogs, flies, gnats, death to livestock. You're like, I mean, I get it, but I, you know, I don't have livestock, or some of us don't, you know, maybe a few of us in here do, but you get my point. Like, if God was doing this now in our time, he might have a different list. You see what I'm saying? What he was showing these people, and you, this is an interesting um, list that I got from a friend of mine as their church went through this, um, um, Four Points Church. They uh, put this together because it was showing this, uh, each one of these plagues was directly challenging one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And the people would have got the memo. See what I mean? Thousands of years later, we might not, but they did. And they'd go, well, you know, we don't need this other God that you're talking about. We've got our God, the God of the sun. And God's like, all right, darkness. And they're like, ah. Well, our sun God, he'll come back. Ah. And after a while, like, can we have the sun back, please, God? He's like, sure. Just let my people go. Okay, we'll do it, you know. And then it's, oh, never mind, you know. And so 
the end of all of these plagues is the same thing. That's why we're, st- we're going to talk about Passover next week, because that's the one that finally breaks through. But I want us to see today um, what God is trying to do is to say, look, I'm going to show you that I'm God and that all these other things you think are God are not and that you're not. And you see that because in Exodus 7, 5, he says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring, out, and bring the Israelites out of it. So God is directly challenging the gods of Egypt. And so here's what we need to see today, okay? And it's going to tie into everything we're going into. And this was there the whole time. Don't just think about outside of yourself. Today, like I said, this is, yeah, Exodus is a story, and we need to interact with it as a story. And I said, sometimes you're going to see yourself in different parts of it. What you need to see today is God calling you out of this world and the Pharaoh inside of yourself resisting that. Let me explain. There's only one right way to relate to God. That's him being God and us not. And you can see it if you go back to Genesis, the beginning of the story, that was the whole problem. God doesn't want you to eat the thing because then you'll be like him, which was a lie. But you see, the whole ever since the fall of man, ever since sin enters the world, we think and want to be and act like we're God. And God's saying, um, you're not. It's actually good news that you're not. But I mean, but the thing is, we like being God in our own lives. We also like having gods, like the Egyptians did, that maybe like we can control, you know? Like when you think of there's one God of everything, blah, but like, well, this is my God of this, my God of that, and if I need this, I give them a little bit and I get something back. There's transactional things happening, you know? Or even the best case scenario, you're just working with the best information you've got. Like every kid in Egypt didn't grow up thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll conspire against the real God with this pantheon of other gods that have been laid before me by my dad and my mom telling me. Because they're saying, this is how the world works. There's a sun God, and you need to do stuff, or it might, you know, and then there's a, there's a Nile River God, and we need that, so you better, you know. Like, when you grow up under that, you go, okay, I'll do that, you know. And so God's real God is saying, hey, guess what? None of that is true. You're not God. They're not God. I'm God. And I would love to talk with you. And then you're saying, eh. So we have this thing. God exodus is coming to take each one of us out of this suffering world. Out, and I don't just mean out of it like, 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 because uh, the story of exodus this is why I said it's important. It's God taking us from oppression and being, and it ends with us with him in the wilderness. It doesn't end in the promised land. It's going to the promised land. They do get to the promised land. And our ultimate end is with God in the promised land. But where we are right now and where this story ends is us with God in the wilderness. Okay? And so God is coming to take us out of slavery, out of oppression. And that's exactly what we've been asking for. It's exactly what we all want. And then right in the middle of that, we go, yeah, but. I would rather still kind of run things. The world... Our own flesh, our sin, the Pharaoh inside of us resists God coming to set us free. First John two fifteen through seventy says this do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. 
for everyone in the world, or so for everything in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. So there's this, the way the world works is kind of in that list there. And we've been taught that's the way the world is, so many of us. And God's saying, it's not, though, which is great news. But our, so we start to struggle with God. It's like Pharaoh. We, you know, we want to be freed. Like the, the Israelites tend to say, yes, this is God. Yes, take us out of this thing. And then our Pharaoh goes, ah! And I'm not talking yin-yang type stuff here. Yeah, I'm just saying that there's a part of us that goes, I kind of still like this. So it starts with this struggle because we don't want to relate to him as God. We want to relate to him as like a, a, an imaginary friend, somebody that always agrees with me all the time. You know, well, my God wouldn't do that. Like, that's <laughs> what? Like, this is not how this works, you know. And the result is many of us are hard-hearted and plagued. You see what I'm saying here? And it's interesting because we try to make up things like Pharaoh does. Because God shows us something. All right, here's the stick. Now it's a snake. All right? And you go, I could do that myself. And then we do. You're like, I'm not impressed. And then you kind of start walking off. And you're like, hey, and the, the, the thing is, Pharaoh has guys, they said, like, by their secret arts that do this stuff. We don't need to get too deep into that. The point is, they do, God does a miracle. They do a miracle, the same miracle. So Pharaoh's like, I'm not impressed. He's kind of walking off, like, show me something I haven't seen, you know? And the magician guys are like, hey, but he, he, he's eating ours, you know? And you start to see this start to happen in the story. They're like, you know, yeah, we did it because we, we know things, but he's, his snake stick is eating our snakes. And he's like, ah, I'm unimpressed. His heart was hardened. I can fake it. I don't need this. This is all fake. It's all fake. It's all fake. It's, I, don't, I don't need this. I can make a rod snake. And then they kind of start to enter. Like they, they do the blood in the river thing. And then they kind of can do it. And like, okay, still not impressed. I can do that. You know? Then it starts to get down the list. And when you get to the gnats part, suddenly the magician guys are like, we can't, we can't do that. And they're like, and they say to Pharaoh, we think this is the finger of God, meaning like the God. We can't do that. We're backing up. Like, all you, bro, you know, this kind of thing. And Pharaoh by then is like, no, I will not let it in. And we see ourselves in a place where the one and only way to truly relate to God as God and us as his creation, his beloved creation, is to come to him without conditions. We like to come demanding things. I'll believe in you if. I'll do this if. Or the one that's like Pharaoh, if you'll just do this, I'll do that. And we see in this story that that doesn't work. But the people say something like this, you're God? Yes. I'll take, I'll go, I'll do that. Then yes. I wrote it down this way. You are God? Then yes. And you're like, well, what comes next? It doesn't matter. Then yes, this is the thing. Because the story's not over. There's hard things coming. There's doubt coming that everybody experiences. But the basis of the whole right relationship is, you are God? <laughs> then yes. And that leads me to um, this week and what happened. And 
we decided very last minute to go. Asaf came with me, and, and we rode. We took Kevin's car. We drove up there. Just, I mean, literally was fell together. We met my brother, and we met my cousin. <laughs> I'm so stupid. I made this slide because I, I, I was calling it Asbury Revival, and then I saw people online like it's not a revival because blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, whatever. The Asbury thing. You can call it whatever you want. I don't care. Um, <laughs> sorry. My wife's looking at me like, seriously, you know. So we decided to go, um, and it's very. And I'm going to share with you some things about it, and I'm going to share, and then invite Asaf to share and Kevin to share their testimony, kind of of what it was. And it's very difficult to talk about because it's kind of everything and nothing. Like in one way, there's nothing remarkable about it all at all, and in one reason, everything's remarkable about it. And it's like I said last week, it's very emotional, but it's not emotionalism. You know, some people want to write it off like, we can do that. Just like the snake thing. You're like, I mean, you can, but it probably wouldn't be like that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's definitely what's happening is changing things, but it's kind of also changing nothing. So it's very difficult to talk about, like to get your fingers on. What is this? So I'm going to do the best we can. But... I made a quick little video just from some snapshots we took, and I texted my brother yesterday, who's like a videographer for a living, hey, send me anything you got. And he's like, I don't have much, and it ain't very good, you know, because we just were not doing that, you know what I mean? And it didn't feel like the kind of place you even could. But we got some shots of the room, and I made it. So I made a little thing just to try to give you a sense of it before we talk about it. So go ahead and play this video really quick just to give you an idea. <laughs> I don't know if that helps at all to depict what was going on, but uh, let me give you just a little bit of, um, I decided to land on the word happening, because I think this is a happening that's happening. And so I'm going to walk through a couple, using that to guide my thoughts or what I'm going to share with you. I broke it up into different what hap like happening things. So first off, what happened? If you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about or what I just saw on that screen. Like, what is this? I'd be like, okay, so here's the deal. On February 8th, which is my birthday, so that's cool that that happened on my birthday. February 8th, um, Asbury, Asbury uh, College is in a small town called Wilmore. It's across the street from Asbury Seminary. Um, so it's a very small Christian school, small Christian college, or small Christian college in a small seminary, whatever. And like Christian colleges do, they have chapel service. So they had one Wednesday, February 8th, my birthday, Sunday, and then morning, and it just kind of didn't stop. And there was like a certain hunger that kind of, and it just built and built and built until what you saw there just kind of didn't stop. 
And you go, well, that's kind of nothing, right? And I go, yeah, but it wasn't, you know. And, it, and the reason we knew about it quickly was because Jeff Henderson, the, the founding pastor of the church here, many, most of you know him, when he moved to do full-time mission stuff, two of the missions organizations he is, like, working with just are based there. So they thought this is a good place to start. So they moved back. And he had gone to seminary there at the Asbury Seminary. So he just moved back. So he so across the street from the school is the seminary. Across the street from the school is Jeff's house. So he just happened to be there. So he texted me yesterday, last Thursday morning. He was like, hey, FYI, there's something going on up here. And I was like, sounds good. I might have to come, you know. This was the thing. But we have an interesting connection. Because of that, we, we as a church have a very interesting connection to this thing. You know, G- Jeff went to the seminary that's there. Um, Gary Webb, who m- most of you know, went to the seminary that's there. Rich Stevenson, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I think Rich went there. But Rich's church that Jeff met Rich through is in Wilmore. So we have a lot of weird roots to this town. But anyway, this thing started happening. So Jeff let us know, and we decided to go up. Me, Kevin, and Asaf went and I said, and we talked on the way up there, because it's, <laughs> it's a long drive. <laughs> um, it's one of those drives where you've driven as far as you need to go in a day, and then you're like, we're halfway there. You're like, oh, man. So we had a lot of time to talk. But we said we knew we're going mostly as representatives of Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. We're not going mostly for ourselves. So we needed to engage in that way. And if you say, so what was going on in this thing? Like, what were those pictures showing me? Here's the environment. You know, what happened? Um, they would have teams of people leading the worship. And I'm talking just college kids. And they had gone, th- by the time we got there, they'd gone through so many people that they're like, you play the guitar, right? Well, they play the piano. Like, let's get you guys back here. We're going to pray. And then you guys are going to lead for a while. And it didn't sound good most of the time. But it was, like, amazing, you know. So they have people leading the worship here. And then the altar area was just packed with people praying and being prayed for. And then there was a room full of people singing. That's it, as far as, like, the things, you see, the people things. But there was a, there was a, there was no celebrity anything at all, at all, at all, to the point that, like, you know, I'm a professional Christian person. I know, I know Christian people. So I'm, like, standing there, like, like, here's, what's his name? And he's just in the crowd. Like, he didn't even, you know. And just to give you some idea about that, like, Jeff and I were joking, Kevin and I were joking about this. I didn't see this happen, but I saw a post somebody else put up that, like, there's different ways to be famous. I mean, there's, like, LeBron James famous, where it's, like, he just shows up, and you're like, oh, look, it's LeBron James. We all know who that guy was, like, Michael Jackson or something, you know what I mean? But then there's people that are famous in, like, an area. Like, this guy's famous to those people, not to these people, this kind of thing. And <laughs> in a seminary town, being a Bible nerd is, make, that's the type of celebrity you can be there, you know? And when, as we're going through Exodus, one of the books I told us all to read is like, y'all need to read this, or at least check out this miracles book by Craig Keener. And this guy, as I've said, he's probably, if you were putting together a list of top five New Testament scholars in the world, he'd be in, he might, he's either on the list or like an alternate, you know what I mean? So of eight billion people, he's of the kind of people that know the Bible at that level. You see what I'm saying? So in a seminary town, that's a celebrity. You see what I'm saying? Maybe not to you, but to those people, yes. But this thing starts happening, and they need help. So people like him aren't saying, stand aside, let me tell you what the Bible says. He's serving as an usher in the basement. He has a little name tag, like, you know, you can't go this way. Go back upstairs, that kind of thing, you know. And so it, uh, 
I apologize uh, because what was happening was in all of that nothing was the manifest presence of God. And what happened to me, um, which will explain a little bit the way I, why I am the way I am. You all remember a couple weeks ago when Wes Hall was here and he like, started praying for me. All of a sudden he's like, you're also a revivalist. Remember he says this? Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't use words like that. Well, that was right. He's not wrong. And I've shared before, like, I spent a lot of time at Brownsville and other revival things. And there's something about me that you all need to know. Like, when he said that, you're a revivalist. I was like, yeah, he's right. Where um, there's probably nothing in my life. I was thinking about this this morning. There are other things that get me excited. So I'm not like, this is the only. But there's probably nothing that gets me more excited than being around people suddenly knowing who God is. And it's completely overwhelming to me. So I walked into the room, and I was overcome, because it was like I was coming home. It was like the college ministry that Carrie and I and Gary Webb had served at. It was like Brownsville, but it was different. But it was that same spirit of God and that same sudden awareness of who God was that was happening. And yes, it's absolutely emotional, but it was so far beyond that that it's, I, don't even, I don't even have really good words for it. So we were there for a long time, nine hours or something, and I just kind of cried all day in waves because the worship would go in these waves. Asaf was saying, it's definitely a young, you know, the way they do the worship is different. You know, you'd be like peak and then fall back. And, peak and, you know, and he's like, I need y'all to stay, <laughs> stay on one of those for a minute because I'm having a hard time. But every time we get up, I would be like crying and then I'd be like, I'm trying to be, be cool, be cool, you know. And, um, so if you say, the next thing is, like, what is happening, though? Like, why does this matter at all? I'll give you what I think. These next two categories, what's happening and what happens now, um, some of these are based on, there's a couple places where Paul says in the Bible, he's like, I'm going to tell you this, me, Paul, not the Lord, you know. This is my best take on this, okay, guys? And I do believe it's, I think it's right, because I'm saying it or I wouldn't say it. But the, uh, um, we'll see on some of this, all right? What I think is happening is a group of people had collectively a sudden awareness of God, who God is, the realities of God. Just suddenly were like, oh, my gosh, I get it. And it just happened. Nobody knows why it just happened, but it did happen, and it was happening. And like I said last week, if you need some better cultural understanding of this, the Reappearing Church book by Mark Sayers explains. Put that book up. I have a slide for that somewhere. Yes, this book. You can get this on Amazon. Um, he explains why this kind of thing happening uh, is not only makes sense, it's actually probable. Because what you have is cultural ideas that fight with each other. Some people get into this and call it culture war, and it's not a healthy thing. But this idea is you can act one way when you're the rebel. You know, so we saw this happen several generations ago. This idea, like, this Christian worldview is oppressing everyone, and da 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 da. You know, let's be. F we can be free. We can be free of it. We don't need God. We can be free. We can be whoever we want to be. And you see this, you know, sexual revolution, and you see the drugs revolution, all this stuff that was coming out, and and then they kind of win for a while in the cultural thing. So that so, but the way you talk when you win. And you're in charge is, I mean, it's easy to complain, but you're now you're running it. You're running it, all right? You know, and, 
us Christian people are like, I don't believe you, but I'm living in your world. We're in your Egypt, all right? Like, we're there. Like, you, you know, go ahead, Pharaoh. You know, you tell them, the, you know. And you can only stretch that so far to where people start to come up and say, you told me. I was, I was, you know, I, I was born a boy and I thought I was a girl. And you told me if I did things and started to that I would love myself more. And I'm not. Why is it not true? Or you told me if I did all these things that I would be fulfilled and I'm not. Why is it not true? Well, you lied to me. Just like this Pharaoh, you see. <laughs> and finally they go, I've had enough of this. Why am I here? What am I doing? And the only answer to that is God. And God's like, I'm here. And they go, you're God? And, they say, and he's like, hmm? And they're like, then yes. You see what I'm saying? And that just happened to a lot of people. And so in that room was that happening where Jeff had told this story before. It's this famous kind of C.S. Lewis quote or story or something. saying, too many people are comfortable with making mud puddles because they don't know what it's like to go to the beach. So what you were seeing in that room was some people who had only known that there was mud puddles finally go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I thought this whole God church thing was some sort of weird, I don't know, my mom and dad like it, so I guess it's whatever, you know, they seem nice, but it seems really weird and dumb to me, you know? And then they go, oh, all right, you know what I mean? And, and then the, the, what was also happening was a lot of people who had been to the beach before but hadn't been there in a while were coming back to it, you know? And so it was overwhelming to me, you know? And, I, and I'm not apologetic about that. I don't cry all that much, but I do cry about this. They suddenly got it, and they were suddenly relating to God, not as a peer, but this is our God, and we are his children. And guess what? He loves us. How awesome is that? And it had a similar energy to, like, a maternity ward at a hospital. That's why you don't want to walk around and be like, can I take your picture while you're having a baby? You know, be like, it just didn't feel right. You know, so we got some pictures of the room, I guess, you know. Um, I did, I missed one thing in my description. Worship teams, prayer altar, room full of worshiping people, and then they would sometimes break in with testimony scriptures and altar calls and, you know, salvation and stuff like that. So I missed that part, so I'm sorry about that. And so it was people coming to, to Jesus to be set free. They were kind of like, you're the way out? I'm, I'm, done. I'm there. Let's go, you know. And what happens now? I th this is where I'm definitely me speaking, not the Lord necessarily, but me. I'll tell you what I think. I think we had the privilege of seeing what is probably going to be the beginnings of some sort of younger generation Gen Z Jesus movement like happened in the 60s. And I think that, should it grow, it will look as different to the church as that did to the church then, which is hard for us to see because so, mo so much of what was unusual about the Jesus movement filtered, which is a movement that happened in the 60s, you should look at it, it was a bunch of hippies all of a sudden becoming the same thing. Like, they're the lost generation, they're, you know, and then in S San Francisco of all places, all these hippies were suddenly like, wait, God's real. And then they're like, but they're like hippies. And so like all the church people are like, can you like stop being a hippie though? And they're like, why? You know, this kind of conversation. And then a lot of the things they did, like maybe we could lead songs with a guitar. 
you see how once that becomes kind of ubiquitous, you can't tell anymore. You're like, what's the big deal about that? I was like, well, it was a big deal, you know. But uh, um, I think we're seeing a similar thing like that happening now. And like I said, it's kind of changing everything, but it's kind of changing nothing because it was like they were even digging deep. Like we were standing there, Kevin and I were <laughs> they're singing songs. And like some of the songs are singing, I was like, oh my gosh, I'd even forgotten. Like, how do you know that song even exists? They're like, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? I was like, I didn't even, I forgot that song, you know what I mean? And then here's some guy up there, you know. And so um, it will look different, and it will challenge some of us, which includes me. I'm in the older folks category there. But it's the same God, and I would like to use this illustration to show you um, because new wineskins comes to mind, but it might be a little too extreme. What I think we see happening is this, that for so long we've been used to this. In this metaphor, just so we are all clear, coffee represents the power of God or the spirit of God. When we say pour out your spirit, this is like what we've been used to. So we're like, pour out your spirit, Lord. And he's like, yes, I, well, hold on. Let me open God up. So <laughs> God says, I'm pouring out my spirit. And we go, yes. Because that's awesome. And then what's happening right now is God's we're saying, pour out my spirit. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, that's awesome. And then some people are going, that cup looks different to me. <laughs> and you go, yeah, but I mean, and they're like, but it's got whales on it. I mean, doesn't it look silly to you guys? And I go, yeah, but I mean, like, look inside the cup, you know. It's like, and so um, I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of this, you know. So my advice is this is still good, you know. But so is this. So my encouragement to you is um, one of the girls said, just in the mix, she was bringing up another girl to share a testimony. And uh, she was like, Y'all need to get your hopes up. And I was like, whoa. I was like, that's, that's it right there. You know, she's like, come on, guys. Y'all need to get your hopes up. And I was like, I've never, ever said that. You know, I'm kind of like, look, guys, I don't want to get your hopes up too high. You know, and I was like, Lord, forgive me. You know, she was like, get your hopes up, guys. And I was like, yes, because so long I've been hearing so much. Look at the world we're living in. Look at these kids. They're all lost. And don't hear what I was hearing this, and I didn't notice it till I was sitting in this room. When people say lost in those comments, they're not saying they don't know Jesus. We just need to introduce them to him. What they were really saying was they're lost and they're not savable, and I don't want to be around this kind of thing, you know? And I would have said, I don't know about it. I mean, they're lost, but like this is, you know what I'm saying? And we were caught up in these culture. We're like, I need you to listen to me, and, uh, and all this weirdness. And then you come in here, and I was like, they're not lost, like unsavable lost. They're just misinformed. Just like the people in Egypt, they're like, well, my whole life they told me there was the sun god. Who I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, oh, suddenly I just realized there wasn't? I mean, where is that going to come from? You know what I mean? And God's showing in this story how it comes, because God shows up, and he's like, Hey, guess what? I'm really God, and that's really good news. But, you know, it, you, there's a struggle that starts to happen. So what do you see? I would say this. Get your hopes up, but without condition. Force yourself to shed conditions. I'll do this if. I'll go if. This is the if. I still want to be God, so can you just be my friend, God? 
I, you know, whatever, you know. There's no conditions. It's all. Get your hopes up, but without conditions. Is it you, God? Then yes. And I saw this. These are the last two scriptures. Luke 1, 53. This is Mary talking about Jesus. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich empty in a way, or way empty. If you know you need him, take, you got it. You're like, I can do without that. Okay. Go away empty. Or this, Isaiah 55, which they actually read while we were there. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Listen to this. What a weird detail to have in here. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? How, does that define so many of our lives? Like, why do that? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare. This is a moment where hungry people are being filled. And, and there will be plenty of work to do. So when, Asaf, you and Kevin come up here. This, uh, this idea they're like, well, you keep saying young people. I'm not young. You keep saying, it's like, no, 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 guys. No, no, guys. <laughs> the impossible thing that we couldn't do is happening. It's happening. That they suddenly got it. And it's amazing. And it's overwhelming to watch. But it's absolutely good. But now there's so much work that needs to be done. There's so much discipling that needs to happen. There's so much lives that need to be helped. And mothers and fathers in the faith, they don't, only, don't only hear this in age terms. Because in the household of God, there's mothers that are young and there's sons that are old. There's, there's weird things that, you know. But, in this instance, those of you that have been to the beach before are needed to help people understand what's going on. Because you will see in this Exodus story, the movement has begun, but the struggle is going to continue, and there's going to be a lot of help that needs to happen. So I'm going to invite Asaf to share his kind of reflections in the Kevin, and then maybe we'll pray. So I will try to give you what I felt and, and one of my takes really fast. So first thing that I want to say, because I'm from another country and another culture, uh, sometimes I felt that I didn't get a hundred percent of it, but in the same way, I get it in other ways. So there are things that impressed me there that they never talked about because I guess it was a cultural thing. For example, they offering water and food for fuel. Oh, you can take whatever you want because we want you to be here as long as you can. This impressed me a lot. And, not, and he, they didn't mention. So, so it, it, it is, so at the same time, it looks like I didn't get 100% of it. I got other things that is cultural or language related. So when I got there, we got there around in the morning and it was kind of like a, the end of just the college student service. So there was not like packed, there was not a lot of people from outside, just the college students. 
And as soon as I enter, sorry, <laughs> I felt an answer of a prayer of God raising up a generation, a prophetic generation that will prepare the way of the Lord. And I prayed that answer my whole life. I was like I met Jesus praying that prayer. And when I got there, I felt this. And, and being there, I felt what I felt was the crumbs. Like Brian said, it was not, nothing different. I mean, it was like a, a service. There was no, a lot of emotional. There was not, it was, I don't know how to explain. It was nothing different, but it was totally different. And, and I felt the crumbs of it. But the meal, the table, was for the generation, the Gen Z generation, for the college students. And I was happy with the crowns. It was like Brian was doing the coughing, and what I felt was like the spilling of the coffee. <laughs> but the coffee is for this generation. So that is one thing that came to my mind. And Brian texted us, we were talking, and Brian said something. It was a sudden awareness of the realities of God. And after that, my day was an expectation to meet the presence of the Lord again during my day-to-day -day life. Like while I'm working or driving, I had an expectation of feeling the presence of the Lord like that. In, in like working or driving, I, I kind of in this expectation, like I'm, I'm an expectation to come here and meet with people that wants to praise Lord together and we're going to feel this presence of the Lord in our day-to-day -day lives. <coughs> the third thing is that God can move in a way that I'm not familiar and not comfortable. I had a little bit of expectation. Uh, God is moving there. I want to be there. And I kind of feel like, oh, it's going to be like my past experience with God. I'm going to be there and feel the presence of the Lord and get emotional and get this hype. And it was not like that. So it kind of feel a little bit frustrating, to be honest. <laughs> and and I, I wrote something. The way that God is changed, moving there, and it, it's one thing that I want to highlight. It's not there, just there. Like the, the answer, the prayer that I said, it was not just because of that people right there. I, I felt this for the whole generation. I felt this for you guys. And it was kind of like, I need these people. I need you guys to feel that too. Like, uh, we need you. And, and when I say there, it's exp the experience that we had. That the way that God is moving in this generation is different than we are used to. And my prayer, and that can be challenging and offensive sometimes. And my prayer is how to guide this and not to get in a way. I don't want to get in a way. It's like my experience is that if when you meet God, you're going to change immediately. And I want to put that in how the God is changing this generation. And, and I'm saying because I saw, I saw something like one boy that clearly had some problems and he was 
didn't look like he was changing like that, but he was there and he was praising the Lord. So he was changing. And my takeaway, what I felt is God wants to live with us. God wants to dwell in this generation. He's, he's calling this generation to dwell on him, that he can live on us. And not just, what can you do for me? What are your fruits? Or what are your this? What is that? No, it's not that. This will come. But he wants a generation that will come and say, God, I want you to live in me. And my, after that, being challenging and offensive, my other thing that I wrote, like, it can be sound a little bit like liberal. And liberalism is not okay, but God is changing the way we deal with it. So, so this is one thing that came to, to my mind. So, I, and last thing, Jeff sent us uh, a verse that I want to read and pray over you. Is Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Amen. Amen. I want to share a little bit and then I want to go into a time of prayer. I feel really uh, like I need to pray. Uh, the whole time I was there at this revival, uh, I felt the need to pray for college students because uh, as a uh, minister, student ministry for so long that when I was there, I was ready to work. I was like there. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to do something. What do you want me to do, God? But then I realized there was all, that was all happening. It was all being taken care of. And so part of me was kind of like, well, where do I belong in this? Because when I showed up, it was, like they said, nothing spectacular. It was kind of, I had this question of like, this is it? Like I walk in, I was like, this is it? So kind of waited and waited and waited, and I was like, this is it? But the whole day as I waited, I felt the Spirit of the Lord resting in that place, and everybody was resting in the Spirit of the Lord. So he's resting there, and everyone was just sitting there. And it looked like nothing was happening, but like they said, everything was happening in each person. I saw this lady standing next to me, and it was as if she was just standing there for hours, not moving. And I was like, what's, what's this lady doing? And then all of a sudden, I look into her eyes, and her eyes are all, all very watery. And, and I could tell, oh, when you look into somebody's eyes in that room, God was doing something so personal to each person in that room, resting in the spirit of the Lord. And I was like, wow, this, this, is, this is it. So my question of, this is it, turned into, yeah, this is it. Because I... Uh, I'm used to that in my own life, just walking with the Lord and resting in his presence. But it was amazing to see that many people at one time doing it. And it, was, it showed me that this is it. This is what we are called to do on a daily basis, is just resting in the spirit of the Lord as he's resting on us. It's not just in that room. It's in our bodies. The spirit of the Lord is resting in our, in our midst, in us. The spirit of the Lord is resting in this place every single week as we gather together. And so I want to pray for uh, 25-year-olds and younger because that's the whole thing that was going on in that room is that they were saying, hey, this is, you know, for Generation Z, this is 25-year-old and younger. They were doing testimonies for 25-year-old and younger. We're giving testimony. And the whole time, like I said, 
I wanted to pray. And so what, what that was is that I wanted to take this back, and I, wanted, I was energized by seeing what the Lord was doing, and I was energized to take this back and pray. And so what I want to do right now is I want to pray for anyone that's 25 years and younger after Brian says something. And by the way, this cup is whaley awesome. Gosh. Here's what, here's what we'll do. I'm going to have Kevin uh, and forget from that Ezekiel. I want everyone to stand up really quick. Because here's what God showed us, and it, it dawned on me how this all, because we knew that we were eating the crumbs. We knew that. We even sat in the back corner, the top. Like my brother said to me, he's like, kind of fighting for the worst seats in this whole place. I was like, yeah, I guess we are. But it was like out of this, I just don't want to be in the way, you know. And then as we were sitting there, we had a long time, you know, reflecting about the crumbs. And then it dawned on me something that I never thought of, which I need to share this to everyone. This meal is for the young people, and it's a very needed meal. Thank God. But when Jesus is encountered by the woman, and he says, you know, I'm here for the people of Israel. Like, I can't, you know, this whole crumbs thing. He's like, I got a meal for them. I can't give the, you know, and she's like, she's like, look, man, I don't need, I don't need the meal. I just need some crumbs. And what I know about God is, we'll go to another story. This is what came to me about it. So Jesus feeds thousands of people with a couple fish and a couple loaves. The thing is, when it's us, when it's Pharaoh that's in charge, when it's our Pharaoh or some other Pharaoh in the ways of the world, you got what you got. If I give you some of it, I don't have as much. You see what I'm saying? I give you more, now I have even less, and now I'm getting frustrated. I keep giving it out, I don't have anything left. Okay, what more do you want from me? But when God's involved, he's like, well, what? like there's thousands of people here. What do you want? He's like, well, just feed them. They're like, we can't feed them. And he's like, well, what do we got? And they're like, we got some bread. And he's like, all right, we'll get, let's pray and let's give it to everybody. And when they're done, they have baskets full left of crumbs. And what I think happened with Jesus when that woman came up to him, she's like, look, I get it. I know who you are. I know what's going on. I don't need the meal. I just need a crumb. What I know about God is he's, Jesus probably smiled because he's like, she gets it. She understands that when I'm involved, God, not another person, not somebody, you know, when God is involved, there is no lack. So a crumb is the same as having everything. The table is set. Anyone that's hungry wants it. And it's in a way that finally makes sense to some people that it didn't make sense to. And it's amazing. But there's crumbs enough for everybody. And so I want to invite Kevin to start praying. And we will focus the type of prayer we're going to say on the younger group. I want you to do that. So we're going to pray for the young people of our community, of our church. We're going to pray for that. Knowing that a crumb from God is all we need to change everything. So if you want to be prayed for, this is where you don't got to drive to Wilmore. All right? You don't got to drive anywhere. What? Okay. Oh, yeah. We gotta, yeah, we got to do that first. Yeah. No, I'll share this. Okay. That's what, yeah, that's right. Uh, 
Well, one more connection we have, real personal to me, is uh, one of a student that graduated from high school that was part of our youth group for five, six years, uh, graduated and went to Wilmore um, as a college student. And now he's actually graduated from the college, but he's still there as a graduate student, and he still lives there. And he's the one that texts me about the next day, hey, there's revival happening, he's Khalil Kiki. And um, God really transformed his life in the youth group. Like I saw that happening. But then there was like this renewed uh, happening when he was like, man, when I saw him there, yes, yeah, Khalil, it was like the Lord really, really opened up his eyes. And for me, it was amazing because I preached, you know, so many messages to him and shared so many things. And, and the one thing that's really frustrating sometimes as a, as a minister, as a pastor, somebody ministering to somebody is trying to make them experience God like you've experienced God. I'm like, man, I've experienced God so much in my life. He's awesome. Don't you want him? Uh, yeah, I guess. It's like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. And it's like, I, I can preach till my face is turning blue to these students, but it's got to be God that opens up their eyes. It's got to be the Spirit of God that does it. And so I saw that with Khalil. It was like, all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord just really opened up his eyes. I was like, there it is. And he's like, and Khalil's really thankful, you know, and he's praying for people. And he's So he's serving on the prayer team. And Jeff said that they were talking one night, and they were just kind of talking, and, and they came up to, to Khalil, not to Jeff. They came up to Khalil, they're like, Khalil, I know you want to talk, but we've got a lot of people that need prayers. Oh, I'm so sorry, you know. <laughs> and so it was awesome to see him serving in that way. But we do need to lift you pray for him first. Let's pray for Khalil, and then I'm going to pray for everyone in this room. Lord, we thank you for Khalil. Lord, we just lift him up to you right now. Lord, thank you, Lord, for just opening up his eyes, God, in a, in a, in a special way, Lord. And thank you, God, that... Uh, he's being used, Lord. He's ministering to people, Lord, that the, that the coffee you're pouring into him, Lord, he's pouring out to others, Lord. And the spirit of the Lord is overflowing out of his uh, mouth, Lord, as he's reflecting on you, as he's seeing you, worshiping you, Lord. There's just uh, so much, God, that, that you're pouring into him that he can uh, pour into others, Lord. So I pray that you would give him strength and energy as he has been on this marathon of praying for stu other students so long, Lord. Just give him the strength right now in Jesus' name. So I'm not going to say, so the, before Kevin prays, I'm, you do not have to go to Wilmore to experience this. You do not have to, you know, you don't have to, prop, I am going to ask you to do one thing. If you want to say yes to God in this way, like your God, then yes, without conditions. I want to invite you to come forward just as a sign to God because, you know, you don't have to drive anywhere, but just come forward now and then we're going to pray as a group, yes. So... I'm going to have you pray and, well, whatever. So come now if you want to say yes to God, and then Kevin's going to pray. without conditions. We want you, Jesus. We want you. Jesus, we want you. We need you. We are desperate people needy people, but you're a good father who loves us and cares for us.
You're a good father who knows what we need. And so we look to you, crying out to you. You fill us with good things. Thank you, Jesus. Take away any anxiety that we may feel, any worry as we're going about in this life. We may pick up on things to worry about, Lord, but let us just give those things to you. We lay them down at your feet. Any anxieties, sadness, hopelessness, just remove all that. Fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with your peace that only you provide. Fill us with peace right now in Jesus' name. Lord, revive us with your love. Revive us with your love, Lord. Revive us with your love. We give you our empty hearts, our hearts. Maybe they're not empty. Maybe they're filled with, with darkness. We give those things to you, God, that you would give us a new heart, Lord, that's open to you every day of the week, every moment of the day, that our hearts are tender to your whispers. Our hearts are tender to your affections. Our hearts are tender to you moving, Lord, on us. Our hearts are tender for you to speak into our hearts, Lord, that our mouth would open up and speak hope to others, would speak the love of God to others, would speak about the wonders and the mysteries of God to other people in an exciting way, Lord. That you would bless our hearts, Lord, with that so that our conversations would be filled with your Holy Spirit that our conversations would, would encourage and not deflate others. Lord, that we would have a strength about us, Lord, that when people come to us and say to us that, that God isn't real or that say to us to try to discourage us from things, Lord, I pray that you would give us a strength and a knowing that you are more real than anything in this life, that we would walk around with that strength, that other people would see it. No matter what happens to us, that, we, that they would know that you're with us, Lord. Lord, I pray right now for anyone in this room that's 25 years or younger, Lord, right now, Lord. Highlight them. Highlight them, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, speak into their hearts and their minds. In Jesus' name, Lord, love on them right now, Lord. I pray that you would pour all of your affection and love on them in Jesus' name, Lord, that their hearts and their minds would be open to knowing you, to seeing you. Give them dreams. Give them the vision of you, Jesus. Give them the authority of Christ, knowing that, knowing that the authority of Jesus is on them. It's not on somebody, not on, not on just the older people. It's on them as well. Lord, the authority of Jesus, they would walk in that authority in their schools. And people would think they're 40 years old because they're walking with such authority and such power of Jesus that other people would, would, would come to know you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we just ask, God, that you would, you would encourage them right now, Lord. I know that it's difficult, especially the teenagers. It's difficult. There's a teenage wilderness that they're in, and it's hard. They might feel alone. I pray that they would know that they're not alone, but they have God with them, Holy Spirit inside them, Jesus guiding them. 
pray that they would know that right now, Lord, with such confidence. Give them confidence right now. Pray for confidence, that they would have this confidence about who they are, about what, what they look like, about what they sound like. Give them confidence in their way that they think and act. Give them confidence in the way that they play sports. Give them confidence in the things that they do, the, 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 the work that they do. Give them that confidence in Jesus' name. Oh Lord, we don't, we don't want anything that don't come from you. We don't want to produce or create an environment that, that we create. We want your environment. You want your spirit to come. And we want the discernment to identify that. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We want more. We are hungry for you. We are hungry. We oh Lord, move on us. Even with all distractions that we have, move on us. Call our attentions to you, Lord. Call our attentions to you, Lord. I said before that this this is what we experienced was emotional, but it was not emotionalism. And I meant that. And there's times where God's moving, I don't feel anything. That's fine. God made me that way. And he made you the way he made you. And it's the box that we build that's the problem. God is as available here as he is in your bedroom, at home, or while you're walking. It doesn't really matter. And I, what I meant, what I said about surrendering expectations. One of those expectations is a feeling, you know. I don't care if I feel anything, if God's with me. It's nice, it's easy, it makes, it makes some things more difficult, I guess. But the point is, we're saying yes to God. We're not saying yes to a list of, even that, what I'm saying is like a hidden list of conditions. I'll say yes to you, God, if I feel this or if I feel that. You have to even surrender that. For some of us, we don't want to feel anything, so we keep our heart hard so that we don't. I get it. It's fine. I mean, it's not good, but sometimes it takes a minute. And some of us feel too much. <laughs> so sometimes it's good for God to do stuff that surprises us. But I want to pray to whatever level we've put God in a box and we've tried to live as God or we've tried to do our own thing this is all sin that's what this word means wrong things we've done and ways we've tried to be God in our own lives all this kind of stuff any movement back towards the proper orientation of God as God and us as his beloved creation 
any movement in that way in our lives is categorically defined as repentance. We're saying, God, I'm sorry that I tried to run my life this way, or I'm sorry I did this, or I'm sorry I thought these things, or any of those, you know, and it starts a process that's an exodus, and it can be a struggle, and we need each other to get through it. But I will get my hopes up and say, Father, I pray that this moment could represent for us as a group of people a decision to surrender to you without condition and to follow you out of the oppression of this world and the oppression of the Pharaoh within us and the Pharaoh without us, the Pharaoh around us, the, the ways of the world. We follow you because you are God, because you are good, because you love us, because you sent your son and Jesus that you died for us and that you rose again showing that you are in fact in charge of everything. And I pray that we could build our lives around that and let it come whatever it is. Because we want to be with you in the wilderness to show us the way out. So I'm going to pray for you. And you can stay and pray as long as you want or you can go. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, maybe sing a song or two. It just doesn't matter. What you need to do is do the business you need to do with God, and that's fine. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, lift up his countenance towards you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.